This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, July 29th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, state officials continue to weigh options to fight transmission of the coronavirus, and a new broadband program is introduced. Then, Congressman John Lewis returns to Georgia today ahead of his funeral. We speak with two Mississippi civil rights veterans on Lewis's contributions and legacy. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, the Flag Commission hears from a vexillologist as it prepares to submit a new design to the legislature. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. With cases, hospitalizations, and ICU utilization at their sustained highest levels, Mississippi is experiencing its most severe month of the coronavirus pandemic. Governor Tate Reeves has issued mask mandates in 29 counties and placed other restrictions on bars and social gatherings. Reeves says it's important for residents to understand the virus spares no community. The coronavirus Uh, is in every community throughout Mississippi, and it's in every community throughout America, by and large. And and therefore, uh, we have to approach our mitigation measures in such a way that recognizes that. And as I've said here uh, daily for weeks on end, we as a state need to assume, or we as individuals, I'm sorry, need to assume that if we're in a room with one person or seven people or 17 people, We need to act as if all 17 of them have the virus, and we need to to make sure that we uh, do all that we can to wear a mask, that we maintain social distancing, that we uh, protect ourselves and protect our fellow Mississippians. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says while levels of transmission have stabilized, the hard truth is family interaction is still driving the spread. One of the things that's very important to think about as what's driving current transmission in Mississippi, it's family. Um, We're seeing a large, the majority of new cases we're picking up are from family members, and a lot of it's extended family. So, um, you know, certainly closing down the economy would stop some of the transmission, but if we can't sort of stop it between family members, we're really going to be in trouble. So just right now, we'd like to say, and and I know it's kind of a a hard thing to, to think about, Please stay away from your extended family. Um, kind of stay more in your nuclear family, your household. Um, anytime we get together for whatever reason, if it's a funeral, if it's a, um, if it's a, it's a family reunion, those are opportunities, and those are opportunities when we let our guard down. So let's just kind of lay low for a while. Um, you know, nuclear family only, more or less. Uh, six feet, a mask, basic essentials. Let's, if we can give it a few weeks and really slow down, we could see a massive improvement in what's going on in Mississippi. Let's all pull together just for this moment, and we can make a big difference. Dobbs says since hospitalizations and deaths are lagging indicators, the worst would still be yet to come in those areas. 
Recently, a video retweeted by the president and viewed millions of times on Facebook showed medical personnel touting the benefits of hydroxychloroquine as a cure for COVID-19. Dobbs says those findings are not rooted in science. There's, there's black sheep in every family, right? So, um, and we see some physicians say some things that are probably outside the bounds of what's scientifically proven. We got we got to we got to base it on the science. If you know, there's been all these sort of observational things that people thought that vitamins would make a difference. Like with lung cancer, there was one where people thought if you gave people vitamins that their lung cancer progression would be better. And when you did it in a real trial and you randomized them and you followed them over time, it actually made it worse. Right. So what seems like it makes sense from people's observations outside of a scientific sort of design, we get it wrong all the time. So what we have seen and in New England Journal had an article that just came out recently, I think the 23rd, showed very clearly in a randomized controlled trial that hydroxychloroquine had no benefit. Um, It doesn't mean that additional trials aren't worth doing, but there are clear toxicities that were found within within this study. And so we just got to follow the science. And if, and if anyone wants to say, yeah, we need to study something, that's great. But someone's personal observations outside of uh, a clinical trial, we really don't need to call that science. Um, and it's just not science. And so, um, but there are treatments we do that know that do help. I mean, supportive care, obviously, we, we can get people through it um, just with, with good standard medical care. But uh, dexamethasone and remdesivir show clinical benefit. So we can't give up on science just because um, folks are fixated on this drug. The trend of cases have some communities rethinking how they want to resume school this term. Some districts have announced they'll transition to virtual only for the fall semester. Others have delayed start dates until September. In northeast Mississippi, students in Corinth have already returned to school. The governor says he is reviewing school plans and working with the Department of Education as districts prepare for the academic year. I do think that uh, those uh, individuals... And, and individual school districts that have uh, opined that they want to go 100% virtual uh, ignore the reality that, that we are going to have um, testing that occurs in the 2020-21 school year. And so, you know, I, I don't think that um, 100% of our school districts are, are approaching this in exactly the right way. But uh, we'll have more information on uh, on the end of this week. Uh, we'll have every single um, district that has uh, put in as to what their reopening plan is. Uh, we have gotten a number of them, and, and there's actually a spreadsheet that we are. I am I literally reviewed for about an hour and a half this morning, and we'll continue to review it late into tonight uh, and through the next three or four or five days. Um, and uh, if we believe that a statewide um, approach is going to be necessary. Uh, then we are going to look for ways in which to make that happen. With more communities considering virtual options, the question of Internet access has percolated. Reeves introduced a new program to address those growing concerns. We know that there are going to be options for students to learn from home across the state this year. We also know that there are barriers for far too many families. Everyone in Mississippi doesn't have strong, positive Internet access that they may need to get a good quality education while staying at home. Now, there are a lot of challenges to fix this. There are a lot of challenges to distance learning than just that. But it's a huge hurdle. It's a big challenge. And it's one we're trying to fix with lightning speed. 
Mississippi is using Federal CARES Act funds and partnerships with electrical co-ops to invest more than $150 million to bring broadband Internet to unserved and underserved homes and businesses. Sally Doty, executive director of the Mississippi Public Utilities staff, says the coronavirus pandemic has highlighted how important Internet access is. Building out this broadband network is very much like what our co-ops did in the early 1900s to get electricity out to our rural homes. Internet is now so integrated in all areas of our life, education, medical services, telework, and economic development, and with the precautions that we have to take to protect ourselves against COVID-19, fast and reliable Internet is a necessity and really a lifeline to the outside world. According to the Sennis Institute at Mississippi State, in 2016, roughly 20% of Mississippians do not have access to broadband. This program will bring broadband coverage for over 40,000 of those residents. Coming up, Congressman John Lewis returns to Georgia today ahead of his funeral. We speak with two Mississippi civil rights veterans on Lewis's contributions and legacy. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Civil rights icon and conscience of the Congress, Representative John Lewis will return to Georgia today to lie in state in the Georgia State Capitol ahead of his funeral tomorrow. Lewis was an instrumental figure in the fight for civil rights, helping lead Mississippi's Freedom Summer in 1964. Retired Methodist Reverend and activist Ed King was with Lewis that summer. He recalls what made Lewis was a prominent leader during turbulent times. They respected him because he did not shout. He could preach like any preacher, but most of the time he quietly talked, and before he talked, he listened. And he could bring things together, and people could realize he's not asking us to go out and risk his life. He's already done that several places in Alabama, then coming to Mississippi. Uh, When he was ready, he could be at the side of other people and did not have to be out front. For instance, during Freedom Summer, he came here to help the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party uh, with attempts at voter registration, voter education. But when we began the summer, three of our workers, three of our friends, Janie Goodman and Schwerner, were killed in Neshoba County. Uh, I was asked by Bob Moses, the leader of SNCC in Mississippi, to take some national leaders up to Neshoba County to go to Mount Zion Methodist Church, which had been bombed, the first of many and to meet some of the survivors who had been beaten there. And Martin Luther King was going, and John Lewis and Andrew Young among people. And there I was, a white Mississippian, taking them out to see the work that the white Klan had done. Lewis thought 
and Dr. King thought they might never live beyond going to see Neshoba. This was before the bodies were found at the end of the summer. Our three men who turned out had been murdered were missing, and the Klan had contacts with the sheriff's office, and we were all risking our lives to go up there. But John listened to people from the church, as did Dr. King, but John was moved and said, this shouldn't happen again, but we're not organizing. People would say, what do we do? Uh, There was even a suggestion, not from SNCC, but from a suggestion that the black movement should go underground and burn white churches, this sort of thing, a tit for tat. And Lewis was very quietly, strongly saying, we have found a better way. He always stressed his Christian faith. He talked about always having imagined as a child he'd become a minister. I thought he was both a politician and a minister, and doing both um, in his way. We've been speaking with Reverend Ed King. He is a retired United Methodist minister, retired professor at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and a civil rights activist. Thank you so much, Reverend King, for speaking with us. Thank you. Glad you're doing this. Hezekiah Watkins was a mere teenager when he became a foot soldier in the fight for civil rights. He tells us how he became acquainted with John Lewis after both men spent time in Parchman State Penitentiary. We became acquainted um, there after our Parchment days. And um, there were several uh, demonstration protests, whatever. Um, that and you were still a teenager uh, then, is that right? I was, yes, ma'am, I was still a teenager, probably around 15 at that time. And um, um, he led most of the um, protesters um, uh, in the city of Jackson. A lot of the demonstration, he set it up, and we went on uh, those journeys. And uh, basically, that was it. Uh, he was always about being the first one to 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 get hit upside the head. Um, Why? Why was he the first one? Was he out front? Was he the most outspoken? He was, he was out front. He was well-spoken, but he was never, never, ever disrespectful to the officers. And the only thing that I can contribute his beating was his swag, the way he walked. He always wore this uh, beige, uh, a white-looking trench coat. That was his trademark. And uh, when he walked, he kind of, I don't know, shifted his body a certain way. Um, we call it uh, a swag walk. And... Um, that's the only thing that I can uh, contribute to his beating was because of uh, the way he walked. Let's go ahead a number of years. Were you surprised or what did you think when John Lewis was in the Congress? Oh, I was proud. I was, I was proud of him. Um, 
uh, I think I might have said he made it. Uh, he's going to make a difference. Uh, he's not going to be influenced. Uh, maybe some of those uh, words, uh, thoughts might have gone through my head based on what I knew of him. And that was being a straight up person, a person who did not take no for an answer, a person who would not sell you out. What do you think is the most important part of his legacy? Oh, man, just just standing for justice, the way he stood for justice like no other person. For instance, like the Petty Bridge or, or then Selma, the first time they tried to cross, uh, Dr. King said no. I think they stopped in the middle of the bridge and prayed and turned around and went back down the bridge. And um, the second time around, John, so I'm told I was not there, but I'm told that John was in charge of that particular demonstration. And uh, he said, all the way, we w- we are going all the way. And, um, and they did. And that was the type of person he was. You know, there's no turning back. Civil rights activist Hezekiah Watkins. Lewis will be honored in a ceremony at the Georgia Capitol Rotunda today. A private funeral will be held tomorrow at the historic Ebenezer Baptist Church. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, the flag commission hears from a vexillologist as it prepares to submit a new design to the legislature. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. Join me on Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast about the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. And of course, all of MPB's other great podcasts are there too. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Coming August 1st to your favorite podcasting app. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. I have a friend who woke up the other morning and her body was covered with little red spots. They're probably three-quarter to an inch apart all over her, the trunk of her body, legs and arms. And uh, when I looked at her, I said, measles it looks like measles any ideas you know that's something that we usually call an exanthem uh, which just is a fancy term for a rash the pattern that you described and the way that it that uh, you described that it uh, sounds to me like it could be caused by a virus now a lot of different viruses can cause that there are adenoviruses enteroviruses and sometimes that can be the only symptom you don't have to have a fever with those A lot of them have what we call a centripetal way that they present. So in other words, they'll start on the trunk first, and then they'll move outward through the arms and legs. Now, if they had measles as a child and they also were vaccinated, they are unlikely to have measles. The only other time that you might have that is with waning immunity over time and an exposure. In Mississippi, thankfully, we don't have a lot of measles exposures. In fact, we've rarely have that. But that doesn't quite sound like measles. It probably is a viral exanthem. 
most of those go away. By the time you have a rash, the other symptoms, if you have any, are going away. But if it doesn't go away another day or two, uh, I'd probably call uh, call their physician's office and just see if they can uh, if they want to see them. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The team appointed to select a new flag design for the November ballot is sorting through over a 1,000 public submissions. The commission, formed via the statute to retire the 1894 flag, met for the second time yesterday at the two Mississippi museums. Katie Blunt, director for the Mississippi Department of Archives and History, says those submissions are the starting point for the commission's process. They'll start by looking at every single one of those on a web gallery. The public can see them, too. On August 3rd, we'll put up a link on our, uh, our website, MDAH website, uh, where the public can see the flags. The commissioners will vote from all of, the, all of the ones that have been submitted that meet the legislature's criteria. And that'll be round one. They'll, cho- they'll each choose 25. So the total of all the commissioners' 25 will then go to round two. Those will be visible to the public, too, as soon as we have that gallery set. And from that point, they will rank 10. Each will rank their 10 favorites and will score those rankings. So the top 10, 10 total, will go to round three. And at a a meeting, another public meeting, which we'll see what the date is. Uh, We haven't set it yet. Um, they They will vote, select five from those 10. They'll also consider any flags that the commissioners have have altered or added to the uh, process at that meeting. They'll come out of that meeting with five flags. We'll do two things. We'll manufacture those five flags so that they can see at their final meeting, they can see the, the flags as flags. We'll also put those five flags on our website. And this time we'll have a uh, period of public comment where you can you can look at the flags, you can comment on them, you can poll which ones you're, you know, the po- public can indicate their favorites. That will be a public process. We'll vet it at, uh, with our staff at Archives and History. Uh, but once we post the comments, everybody will be able to see them, including the commissioners, and that gives them a chance to kind of hear from the public. Um, and then at the final meeting, which is, I think, September 2nd, I didn't bring my dates, um, they'll select one flag chairman will send a letter to the legislature and the governor, uh, and that's the flag that will go on the ballot. Vexillologist Clay Moss was in attendance yesterday, providing guidelines for effective flag design. One of his guidelines, no words or seals. He says the requirement to include in God we trust does present a small challenge. There are ways to compensate for that. I, I shared with the uh, committee that you might put it uh, in the form of a ribbon on a flag or maybe on a, on a disc. In some way that I, what we call containing uh, the wording, so that it uh, it's, it's it lends a little bit better to to the flag's design. So it's not an insurmountable uh, thing to deal with in terms of coming up with a good design. It's just not ideal. Lettering is never ideal. And I'm a Christian. I have no issues within God we trust per se. But uh, 
Uh, a flag in and of itself should entirely convey the message it's trying to broadcast, but uh, state legislation dictates that we have in God we trust on the flag. This meeting was the first attended by Governor Reeves' appointees. Betsy Hamilton is Reeves' appointed member from the MDAA. MDAH, and she says this is an opportunity to rebrand Mississippi. Not only are we looking for a design for a flag, but I think we're totally looking at rebranding our state, and that not only is this emblem going to be on the flag, but let's think about all the other ways that we can use it as well, that uh, to the economic benefit of others. So I think there are lots of possibilities and lots of opportunities here. And also in, in um, educational moments and teaching moments. Betsy Hamilton is a member of the Board of Trustees for the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.